to Do Humans Talking, the podcast where we discuss the challenges of staying healthy in today's modern fast-paced world. I'm Tiffany Sims, your burnout recovery expert and holistic wellness coach. And today I am here with Harris Eddie Hill, and I could not feel more honored or blessed to be sitting here on the other side of the screen getting ready to chat with you. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. I'm so pleased to be here and and I've been podcasting a lot and it's always so instantly obvious to me when I join a podcast when I'm in space with somebody who is so warm and genuine and creates such a lovely environment for this uh talk and th that that's definitely the case today so thank you oh thank you so much that's actually the probably the best compliment I could receive right now thank you oh, and there's not often I don't think I have ever actually started an episode reading someone's bio but your bio was so impactful to me when I was just reading through, getting to know you a little bit better, that I would like to read it. Is that cool with you? Yeah, sure. Awesome. All right. So Harris is an out and proud non-binary podcaster, best-selling author, a coach, and the founder of the Center for Childhood Trauma Healing, which is a platform dedicated to supporting neurodivergent queer, or highly empathetic adults to overcome their childhood trauma and begin to thrive. Shortlisted for the Positive Impact and Sustainability Speaker of the Year at the Speaker Awards. Harris is passionate, this is the part, I highlighted it even. Harris is passionate about demystifying healing and helping people to connect to their own ability to heal. Helping clients and other humans take back their power from a medical system that doesn't always offer tangible solutions and doesn't always educate their clients on the ability to heal. Harris has survived and overcome trauma, unaccepted family members, cancer, abusive relationships, physical paralysis, and mental health challenges, yet has found their way to emotional freedom and is now passing that power forward. Holy crap. Like, I just immediately, I'm like, I need this person in my life. I want to level myself up. Like, I have bigger impact and visions and goosebumps of what is possible. And I didn't know that was actually possible from reading someone's bio. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. Thank you. And so with that, share with the people who you are, where you're calling in from today, like whatever you want to connect with, like, who are you? Sure. Beyond all that cool stuff. <laughs> so uh, I live in a county called Hertfordshire in England. People are always like, how far from London is it? And I'm like, oh, it's about half an hour on the train. <laughs> so for those who need to know that information, that's how long it is. I think um, that's how we connect with people. We try to like anchor into things that we know yeah. to create conversation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so I'm in my mid-30s. I'm non-binary, um, which means that I don't fit the girl or the boy box. And um, I wasn't trying to make a political statement. It's just, it just turned out that that was the case. And uh, I'm happy. So that's the bottom line, I guess. Um, I like that. You know, not many people just outwardly say that. Like, just peace. That was so peaceful and genuine. You're just like, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> I want that for more people. There's there's a really good trans comedian that I follow and her name is Jordan Gray and I absolutely love her. And I've heard her say, you know, in her stand up, I'm transgender that mean I used to be a boy and now I'm really happy. <laughs> and I I really like that. Um so yeah, and I have I retrained as a NLP practitioner and timeline therapist, which is a is considered alternative, which I'm quite happy with. Um in 2018 and during that time, uh, at the time, I had other businesses um, that had nothing to do with coaching and mental health. And I shut them all down. I retrained. And then my life kind of fell apart a little bit. And so I went traveling. I came back from traveling right before the pandemic. And then since then, I 
I actually had a breakdown at the uh, the end of my travels, which is why I came home. And off the back of that, I was like, I'd already had treatment for my regular, my simple bog standard uh, PTSD, which was around uh, childhood sexual assault. And then it unfortunately happened again in my teens and again in my 20s. So I had the treatment for that, which was totally successful. It was gone. I've never had a relapse, uh, no flashbacks, no, no nothing. Like it was really good. So went traveling, had this breakdown, came home and I was thinking about it. And I was like, I think there's something else here. And I had a really strong sense of what that was, but I didn't know the name for it. I didn't have the words. I went back to my my trauma uh, person, healer person, and uh, she had she uh, did further training. She did a master's in traumatology. So I went back to her. And I didn't in the, know that was something you could get a master's in. But now that you say that out loud, that sounds like something that's probably more common than I would have recognized. Like, well, you say there aren't many. It's a very new thing. Okay. And I actually, I don't even know like how accredited it is. It's still considered like quite a new thing. It just seems thing. really relevant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we went back. Uh, I went back. She did the assessment and she said, right, you've got complex PTSD. And I was like, right. Okay, so. Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> She was like, she was like, you're absolutely right. There is a thing. You do know what it is, but you didn't have the words and now you do. So I was like, good. Okay. I mean, it was still a lot to take because when it's to do with your upbringing, your family of origin, and, you know, obviously for a lot of people with complex trauma from their family, some of them don't speak to their family. Um, but a lot of us are still involved in, in, you know, to varying degrees. And, um, it was just, it was a lot to hear that and to take it on and accept it. But having worked through all of that, then uh, um, I discovered that a huge amount of her traumatology training was based in NLP and timeline therapy, which I'm already trained in. And I was like, huh, OK. And I, I'm a very spiritual person. And along the way, I kept asking my, you know, sort of the universe or whatever. And I was like, what is my purpose? Like, who am I serving? And I felt like they must have been screaming it at me for a few years and I just wasn't hearing them. And once I was back on my feet, I was then friends about this and they were like, all of them are healers of one kind or another. But like, all of them are healers of one kind or another. Excuse me. And how we like, yeah, magnetize, we collect, yeah. we almost collect the people that are like us. Yeah, 100%. And, and hilariously, we're all neurodivergent as well. I've got ADHD and, and autism and a lot of, all of my friends have got ADHD and sometimes they've also got autism. But um, anyway, and it got to the point where I was saying to my friends, like, this is what I'm helping people with. And being self-employed again was always part of the game. Like it was always going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's where I thrive. You know, I don't have 40 hours a week in me of work. And, you know, uh, I don't work that way. I'm very fluid. Like I might be working at like 1 a.m. And another day I might be working at like 10 a.m. until and dinner some days time you're or... like in the zone for 14 hours and don't yes. break a sweat. And there's other days where it's like 30 minutes in, you're like, we're done. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, nothing's happening today. Yeah. But I, I was saying to my friends, it's like, I'm, I'm helping these people with the childhood trauma. I know so much about it. Like, I'm so passionate about this. And they were like, just just go with that. And I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. Why and, not? Uh, what was the I hesitancy? Just, I just had so much uh, imposter syndrome. And also, I still had this inferiority complex when it came to this stuff because I was like, you know, I don't have a traditional qualification. Um, and it took a lot to lean into that. Was it hard for you to lean in because like, were you still processing your own stuff? So you felt no. like, okay. Cause as I say, sometimes we, I know I've experienced the imposter syndrome. I was like, how am I supposed to help someone else with this when I haven't figured it all out myself? 
and having to remind myself that sometimes the help comes from just being a few steps ahead, not mm. having the whole picture. And so yes. I'm curious. And no, I... Picture- Oh, I God. get that. I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. But this for me was like, I have been so immersed in facing my trauma. It's so hardcore that I got to the point where I was like, no, I'm good at this. Like, I can handle it. I know what I'm doing. It was more like, you know, if you're, say if you've met somebody romantically and they come to call for you one day and they're knocking on your front door and, and your your intuition, everything about it is like, this is my person. And it was like I was standing on the other side of the door and I thought, I don't know if I'm ready for this yet. It was this real feeling of like, oh, my God, I, I've, you know, if I step into this, I'm really stepping into it. And and the the, the doors are going to open. These people are going to turn up. My clients are going to turn up. All these people are waiting to work with me. Um, And I was like, I don't I don't like. I, yeah, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome, but eventually I was like, I'm doing this work already. All I'm doing is admitting it publicly and so I did and like it was the best thing I've ever done that so empowering (laughs) I this is gonna sound really odd to someone who hasn't experienced it yet who might be listening but like I find it so magical when the things that we experience and live and grow through turn into the career path that we are giving back and serving the world to help them become the world be a better place. Yeah. Some of the stuff we live through is so crappy. And it's just like, you have no other choice but to like pay it forward because you've got to turn some like this pile of crap into something beautiful. Because it's like, I can't just that that could not have happened to me for nothing. Like, it'd been great if it didn't happen, but it did. And now I need to like turn this into something beautiful because that was just too horrible not to let it grow into something beautiful. And don't you think though, that actually it's not necessarily turning it into something beautiful. It's recognizing that actually you've already done it because (laughs) I literally, I said, I said to a new client today who was, you know, sharing a lot about what, what they've been through and, and, you know, feeling very kind of self-deprecating, feeling very self-critical um and I said what if the opposite is true and the fact that you've survived this is like incredible you know so I feel like by the time we've gone through something and we've come out the other side or we're just even still here like the amount that we've learned even just to survive it granted not all of it you want to continue but there's a huge amount of it which is valuable unfortunately and unfortunately it's going to be valuable to other people who still need it because we don't yet live in a world where it all becomes irrelevant yes oh my god so powerful i knew i was gonna love our conversation today (laughs) like i'm a big note taker so Sure. If you guys are watching and you see me over here, I'm not doodling. I really am like taking notes. And I encourage you to be taking notes too. There's always nuggets <laughs> in these conversations. So I'm curious, hmm. what does right now in this version of you, what does healthy mean to you? Oh, um, I can say really, really confidently that healthy right now is about honoring what I need in every minute of the day. And that is so hard. What I need in every minute of the day, gold. Yeah. So 
there are days when I'm like, oh, um, you know, so for example, next week, uh, I'm going to be recording for my uh, for a new podcast that I'm launching in the very near future. Although I'm sorry, I can't give you a date. But um, I was like, I want that week to really focus on that. And so it's really unlike me to be unavailable week to week for my clients. But I was like, I, I've decided I'm not doing any um, client work for one week. And I'm practiced enough now that I'm like, I, I recognize that's what I need. I recognize that's what I'm being called to do and I will do it. But I'd be lying if I said I was a hundred percent like, yeah, whatever, man. Like there's still a part that where I say to clients, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm very um, invested in clear communication and not avoiding things that I find difficult. Um, and I will say to them, I'm not doing any client sessions next week. So we're looking at the following week. And so far everyone's just gone, okay. Isn't it refreshing to one, know the world keeps spinning. Yeah. And that two, you're giving by being so transparent with those, with the clients you have, you're giving them permission to be able to do the same thing. Yeah. Because they're watching you do it mm -hmm. and they're watching it be okay. Mm -hmm. And they're watching all the goodness that comes and they're going to see you come back from giving your all through that week and see a new sense of joy in you which is gonna like fuel their fire even more to like practice honoring honoring what i need in every minute of the day that is so cool yeah and also that's that's when people get the best out of you anyway right if you're and also it it's one of the things that i think when you recover from something called codependency it's a word that people throw around and i'm happy to get into it but when you recover from codependency, you realize that when you give out of obligation, it's fake. And that's mm -hmm. not a judgment on the people doing it. It's a totally valid and totally sane co uh, coping mechanism when you come from an environment that absolutely required you to behave that way in order to survive. Yep. But once you realize that actually you saying no sometimes or saying not that day or you're going to have to wait a week is a kindness because actually you're saying if I gave to you next week or on this day, it wouldn't be genuine. And actually, if you can wait until a day when I can fully commit and be present and give to you willingly, that's real. Yep. And it really shines a light on the people who are truly robbing from you versus those who are experiencing life with you. Oh, yes. Because yeah. those who are just about the what's in it for me and the taking they have a really hard time with that because they don't care if it's fake or not. They just need whatever the thing is from you, right? It's all about them. But then when you interact with people who are just genuinely want to have whatever that experience is or that exchange, they're like, oh, okay, well, let's figure out where that works for both of us then. And it's yeah. like no big deal. And I don't know about you, but I know in my experience, the first few times I really experienced that, it was almost like whiplash because I was so uncomfortable and so new that I didn't know how to like process that feeling of things being okay without being belittled or like, yeah, belittled without being belittled and verbally <laughs> abused, you know? Yeah. There's a real anxiety because obviously you've learned, um, from kind of being a pe this, this people pleaser that actually, when I'm real or I put myself first or I say anything other than yes, 
um, people are going to have a reaction to that. And I think it's, you know, if you've got that kind of trauma, then it's, it's real. You, you panic. You're like, if panic, I say, all... that is the right word. Yeah. It's like this yeah. internal panic in that bubbling that I think a lot of us call anxiety. Mm. Yeah. But interestingly, I found that the more you stick to being true to yourself and honest, the wrong people will show themselves out the door. And also your anxiety improves because actually your sense of safety is so is you don't realize how tied in it is to your ability to honor yourself. That anxiety is like, well, you're not going to protect me like me. I'm not I'm not protecting me. I'm not honoring what I need. And so therefore, my safety of whether this goes well or not depends on the other people. Yeah. And it's a weird sense of protection for yourself too, because it's, it's true survival, right? You're trying, you're saying yes, trying to protect yourself from the outfall. When in fact, you just need to be true and honest and not an a-hole about it. Yeah. Like there's a difference between being an a-hole and truly not having the capacity or ability to do something in a moment. Yeah. And I was in a coaching call last week with a client and she had such a great, she shared such a great insight, which was mother Teresa was such a positive live into the moment person that negativity was repelled by her. Mm. Like people couldn't, who were not of a positive giving nature could not be in her presence because it was so repelling. And it was just like that visual of like, oh yeah. We don't have to beg people. We don't have to assimilate to be accepted. Like, and we don't have to like manually remove all the icky things. If we just show up as ourselves with the best of intentions, the people and things that we're not supposed to be around, they'll remove themselves naturally. And what's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people who are scared though, because one, if people leave your presence, even if secretly you're not enjoying that connection, there's a part of you that if you've got abandonment wounds it's, or, or rejection sensitive dysphoria, you're going to feel that even if you know logically it's the right thing. And the other thing is that there's a part of you that's scared it will be worse without them than it is with them. Mm. That's also very true. When you were saying that, it got me thinking a little bit too. There's also a piece, I think, that some of us experience of our ego being like if i was worthy enough if i was good enough they would want to change to be a better yeah. person to stay and so our ego can't handle sometimes that we're not good enough for someone to do things differently when they know what they're hurting mm. us and processing and working through that is a lot of dark work Yes. And actually, that is one of the key components to codependency. So if you want me to get into that briefly. Sure. Yeah, go for yeah. it. So obviously, in the last 10 years, there's been loads and loads of like media and blogs and stuff talking all about uh, narcissists and that um, uh, empaths and narcissists go together or ADHD uh, people and narcissists go together, all of these different things. But actually, you can be an empath and have boundaries you know you can be healthy and and have this sort of uh skill of of really being able to read other people in a deep way in a way that isn't isn't immediately obvious and 
you can also have ADHD and be a narcissist. So actually, the thing that goes along with narcissism, and this isn't my opinion, this is uh, research in a book that I, I really follow quite closely, is codependency. A lot of people say codependency to mean enmeshment, you know, when you're too close to, and you're sort of really living in each other's pockets, like it's way too close. There isn't a good sense of like individuality within a relationship mm -hmm. but actually codependency is where you're in the entire way that you look at other human beings is totally others focused so this a lot of what I've learned and what I see to be true is from this book the human magnet syndrome it's one of the books I recommend in my um reading list or my audiobook list for survivors of, of complex trauma human and human magnet what was it syndrome and it's by ross rosenberg and he talks about this scale of minus five to plus five right and minus five is fully codependent that is the area where you are fully focused on other people so it's where the extreme people pleasing comes into uh, into it it's where the extreme selflessness and self-sacrifice comes into it and it's where you have total self-abandonment because uh out out of your need to survive that's where it, it comes from and it also comes in the form of being overly invested in everyone else's what they're doing the decisions they're making the relationships they're having and how that makes you feel so as an example um i used to be very codependent i would i had a, an incredible talent for finding completely the worst people to date um i haven't luckily i've got out of that sort of in the last 10 years i've only dated like genuinely nice people which is such a surprise yeah thanks huge milestone yeah but before that uh, I dated some narcissists and um, obviously most narcissists will never be in front of anyone that could diagnose them so a lot of the time we're coming from our best guess so I acknowledge that uh, but the first one of which is probably also a sociopath and I have a huge amount of evidence to support that hypothesis um, and during that time and even since uh, and during my sort of recovery from a lot of this stuff another sign that you're codependent is that when other people are going through difficult things you as a matter of urgency have to you, you almost like want to force solutions down their throat as quickly as possible because their distress makes you distressed and that's not the same as empathy mm. empathy is coming from a grounded place of like, I see where you are. I, I recognize that I've been there myself and I, I have empathy for this. Like I, I really do wish you well. So when you were painting that picture, mm. you said it was weird. Hold on. You said that it was from a, their discomfort is your discomfort. So you want to get it through it as quickly as possible. Yes. I was thinking from the perspective of, I need to prove my value. So if I can solve this for you, I increase my value to you. 
Yeah, that can definitely. Yeah. So a lot of codependents have a huge amount of self-worth in their ability to solve other people's problems. You may have just learned a lot about me just yeah. now. <laughs> that was my version of codependency. Yeah. A lot of it stemmed from wanting to prove my worth and be yes. valuable, a valuable asset to the yes. other person. Yeah. So I definitely know in the past, there are times when uh you know in my family we uh, there was a lot of emotional incest and this basically me it's it sounds like grosser than it is but it's basically this idea that people who shouldn't be coming to you for emotional support are and they're often sharing things that are not appropriate for your relationship and um during that time whilst I felt uncomfortable and I didn't like those conversations and I felt that it was very inappropriate and made me feel very uncomfortable at the same time I didn't have the age the wisdom the life experience to offer anything substantial in terms of a solution to these adults who were saying things these things to me when I was still a child and I would often feel that I had failed in not being able to offer them a tangible and useful solution to marriage problems when I hadn't even had my first relationship at that age so it's really common to feel that way as well so what was the turning point for you in recognizing that those were some of your tendencies and what was like what were some of the first steps maybe tangible steps that you can share that mm. someone else who's resonating and being like self-identifying themselves right now that they could take while they're exploring new options to like move into a healthier space. Mm. So the turning point for me is not something that you can replicate. Unfortunately, at 25, I went for my first uh, smear test, pap smear uh, to the Americans. And um, I had completely forgotten I'd even had it done, had loads of other stuff going on at the time. And it came back saying that they'd found some early cancer. And, you know, I was lucky enough that they found it early. All they had to do was, I, I, I always say this and people tell me off for minimizing it, but, I was lucky in that they got it early enough that they had to just remove a small portion um, of my cervix and then I was done. Like that was it. That was the end of the treatment. Six months later, they tested again. It was all resolved. I was fine. But it gave me, when I found that out, it gave me this light bulb moment and I woke up and I started to take myself seriously. I started to care about what happened to me. And suddenly this shift happened where uh, I was dating my last narcissist at the time. Um, I'm pansexual, so I, I don't care about gender. It's more about the connection for me with, with the other person. Um, and she was my first serious girlfriend. And, and in so many ways, it had given me a new um, perspective of myself as a human being. I was no longer playing this role that I would with men. And at that time, I didn't know I was non-binary. So I was still trying really hard to to be a girl and not not very good at it. So it gave me a lot of freedom in that I was experiencing relationship without any kind of role to follow or blueprint. So there's a lot of good about it. But actually, by the time I got this diagnosis, I just suddenly, you know, she would talk to me. My partner at the time would talk to me with such disrespect. She would mock me. And then she started mocking me about how I felt about my cancer <laughs> diagnosis. And I just looked at her one day and the, the same week I found out on a Wednesday and by Friday I looked at her and I went, I'm not doing this anymore. And she was so shocked. And it obviously triggered a lot of abandonment for her. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting up with this. The way that you speak to me, what you give me in a relationship is, is really not good enough. And 
it took a lot, but I was like, no, do you know what? Anything's better than this. I, I'm not putting up with it anymore. So I started to recover. From that moment, I stopped being such a doormat. And I'm not saying that to be mean to my past self, but just that the energy of me changed. And then about three years later, I met somebody else and she was really lovely, but had some, she was emotionally unavailable a lot of the time, not always. And she was kind, you know, um, we had a, a really great time together, but it, it was fairly short. It fizzled out. It didn't, it didn't work out. And I said to one of my friends, I said, I, I'm the common denominator. I keep finding the wrong people. And I insist that this is the case. No one's told me this. I'm insisting that this is the case. And I'm insisting there's something I can do about it. But I don't know what this is called. But I recognise a pattern. I really do. And I wish I knew what it was so that I could learn more. And she said, I've got the book for you. And it was the human magnet syndrome. And once I listened to that book, it put so much in place for me. And I started to realize that actually a lot of the traits that I considered virtuous about myself were actually in a, in a way toxic and in a way was self, um, self-harming. Mm. And I started to realize I was like healthy people are not going to look at me and my behavior and think, Oh, that's the one for me because they're going to be like, this is unhealthy. I don't want you to do things for me. I don't want you to proverbially wipe my butt. Like I want it's you to. It's such a hard thing to grasp. Yeah. When we live in a world of, and someone's going to want to cancel me when this comes out of my mouth, but when we live in the, you are beautiful, there's nothing wrong with you, love yourself world, because yes, I'm beautiful. Yes, I'm worthy. Yes, I'm perfect the way I am, but I am also flawed. And there are things that I actually need to work on for myself, through myself, because there are things about me that are not so healthy. Yeah. And so I just it boggles my brain. So many people will be like, oh, you should love yourself. And it's like, I love myself enough to recognize that this is something that needs to change. Yes, because loving anybody, including yourself, is not the same as permissiveness. It's not to say we flog ourselves. I don't flog myself for my mistakes or the things that I've done. I recognize that that was a behavior and a way of existing that I absolutely needed. It was totally valid at the time. And I got to a point where I was like, that time is done and now I need to move on and and just grow as a human being, you know, no shade, but it's, you're never done. Yep. And for like, for me, um, in my twenties, when I was like really heavy set and unhealthy, you know, everyone would be like, oh, you're beautiful. You don't need to lose weight because evidently wanting to lose weight to be healthier meant that you hate your, like, you yeah. think you're ugly. And it's like, no. Um, but I just wanted back then when I, when I think about her, that version of me, she just wanted to be loved for who she was and not be seen when she went to meet a guy off of a dating app there was probably like plenty of fish back then um or e-harmony you know like i didn't want them to see my physical body and it's like why can't they see me and looking back it never had anything to do with my physical body but like you said a healthy person can recognize unhealthy behaviors in another human and they're not going to self-sacrifice to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't know how to respect themselves, doesn't know how to be present in the relationship without like being a martyr. Real and it's why you end up with those health unhealthy relationships because they see you unknowingly sometimes as like prey almost. Yes. That they can manipulate and make you a, their puppet. And you don't even know it because you're so giving of everything you have in that relationship. Mm. And then one day you wake up and you're like, I thought I was a strong independent woman. 
And so you have to like give her grace because she didn't know anything differently. Yeah. But it's such a weird journey to travel through and see it through the different lenses when you look back through it. Mm. Man. Yeah. And I think two things that come to mind. First of all, in the book that I was talking about, the human magnet syndrome, he was saying that, so if you're a minus five, you're totally codependent, totally others orientated, and you, in order for you to feel settled, everyone around you has to be settled. You go perfectly with the plus five, the narcissist, the sociopath, the, you know, some addicts might fall into that as well, just purely because they're being driven by addiction. It's not, maybe that's not their true personality. But the idea is that you go perfectly because the way that life has molded you into this totally others focused person, who's going to love that more than a narcissist or somebody who's completely has no empathy, doesn't really care about your well-being or at least not very much. Mm -hmm. And who is totally self-focused. You go together, even though it's toxic and it's not good. And obviously we don't wish that for anybody. That's where it makes sense. That's that's the person who's going to go. I see how little you care for yourself. And this is a big win for me. And yeah. the other thing, and I don't think they recognize it. I don't think it's at least not originally. I don't think it's malicious on that mm. other person's part, at least not in the earlier stages. No, I don't know how cognizant those people are of themselves in the first place. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, Doesn't make it right at all. No, no. But I think yeah, it's often an unconscious thing that's going on. And the the other thing I was going to say is that um, in 2019, I dated somebody who was very codependent and being on the other side of that was so humbling because I saw so much of their behavior that was like I used to be and being on the receiving end of that I was like I I have never been so humbled in my life you know so much of that behavior at the time. <laughs> very similar and it's almost like you're like oh that's what they meant when they said you were being needy yeah. and it's like <laughs> It, or smothering and you're like yes. oh I have a different lens for this in that I didn't know <laughs> yes yeah because I think at the time when I was like that I felt so traumatized and so damaged and so hard done by and I was but I think it gave me this idea that I had been so badly treated and so and life had really you know crapped on me from such a high height that I couldn't fathom that I was anything other than a victim. And obviously I was a victim, but I wasn't only a victim. And I think that it felt so awful that I was living with so much trauma at that point, that the idea that I was possibly responsible for any anything else felt like so unfair and such a, <clears throat> uh, an injustice. And I don't blame myself for how I was before then. And I don't blame, you know, that person that I dated. But having seen it from that side, I was like my, every time I was like, listen, I, you know, I, I hear that you're feeling insecure. I, I hear all of that. I have so much empathy for that. Um, and at the same time, uh, when I've left your house at 10 a.m. after having a lovely breakfast, I've gone to work and um, by 6 p.m. you're blowing up my phone crying and telling me that I don't I don't like you as much as you like me. Um, it feels like I can't do enough. I'm just trying to live my life. I saw you this morning. We had a nice night the night before. We we had a nice dinner. Like we've had all this fun. And then nothing's happened. All I did was go to work. And then now you're crying and telling me that how I feel about you isn't enough. And we've only been dating for a very short amount of time. And I don't know what to tell you. And 
you know, when you're feeling that way, I think it would be best to talk that through with a supportive person who isn't me because I can't, you know, I can't counsel you. I can't play you. both I can't, of these roles. Yeah, I can't counsel you and at the same time want to, you know, feel romantic about you. It's it's too much of a conflict. And it was always, oh, yeah, I really hear what you're saying. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. And then the same thing would happen in a couple of days. And it was just, I was like, wow, this is this is a lot. And now I understand why. Yeah. other Like you say, other people had 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 some had some feelings about how I used to behave. Yeah. And it's so this conversation was so good like parts of even i think it's really relatable i think it's so relatable because all of us i think travel have traveled this path at one time or another especially those of us in our like late 30s and on we've lived enough life that it's like so relatable and if you're in it right now know that there is there is an other side if you're willing to get messy and productive in the work and when you're on the other side it's okay to feel for that previous version of you and also think that they are the strongest person you've ever met yeah because they got through it for you to be who you are now oh that one just hit me in the feels um And so I'm really excited to share this story with the world because I think it will hit so many different people and shine light on maybe some room for growth for people who feel overwhelmed or like they're not enough for them to be able to turn the mirror around and go, okay, which of these qualities that I'm exhibiting isn't actually my healthiest, best self and isn't setting me up for the life and relationships that I want to have. And then like, what can I do about it? And I think I'm really excited to read the book, The Human Magic Syndrome that you recommended. Um, it sounds really impactful. I like the scale. Um, I've got my notes here because I was like learning from you while you were sharing. And I think that's so cool. If you, if anyone walking away right now from listening to our conversation, what's the message that you want them to walk away with? I think the number one thing is that trauma is so common. And if you have it, most people have some degree of it. it you can totally recover from it and fully. Um, it's something I mentioned before we started recording today. But part of my mission is to really educate people about what trauma is, what it is, what's happened to your brain, why why it's doing the things that it's doing, and that you can recover from it. And it's not like it never happened. It's not like that, like... Uh, neuralize the thing in men in black or something where (laughs) yeah you have no recollection of it ever again but it's just that it becomes a a fact of your history like anything else and it's not kind of in the driver's seat anymore and this is something that you know I, I lived with PTSD for 20 years and it was so severe and it was treated in two hours and then when I went back to have my complex PTSD treated Again, that was gone in a matter of months. And I think it's the mental health industry needs to catch up with this and start to talk about this more and educate. Because obviously all of us practitioners, we all play a different part in people's healing journey. Healing journeys are very long. There are many different chapters to it. And we all play a part of that. Um, But I think it's really important that we, A, don't monopolize it and say like, "I'm, I'm the person 
Um, and that happens a lot, particularly with, with talking therapies and stuff like that. And the other thing is that we promote all the different parts of it that we we don't do so that the the client, the the patient is educated about what's what's available to them. Um, because I think people living with this stuff long term with no even mention of a, a long term permanent solution, we're letting people down. So, yes, people need to know that, like, don't give up hope. It's possible. Yeah. Oh my God. So good. I feel like I don't even have words right now for how I feel about our conversation. I feel blessed. I feel humbled. I feel peace. Like it was just such a good conversation. Like, I'm just so glad we connected and crossed paths. And so how do people, if they connected with you and loved this as much as I did, how do people connect with you after the show? Sure. So the best place to go to is my website, which is mxharrishill.com, which is M-X Harris, double R, Hill, double L.com. And um, on there, I've got a webinar you can watch like immediately, which is all about trauma. It teaches you about how it works and how, how you actually get rid of it, what that's like. I share my journey and sort of that process, what that recovery was like and the different things that we addressed. And um, yeah, there's all sorts of resources on there. The human magnet syndrome I mentioned is part of a short curriculum that you can like download this little guide about the books and that I recommend to like everybody that I ever work with. So yeah. And it's got all my social media links and stuff on there. So, Oh my God. So good. So I really encourage you to click the link in the show notes right now, head over to the page and start educating yourself. There's so much growth in just having the knowledge to know how to help yourself and to move through the process and know that there is hope when you're willing to put in the work. Um, and so go see what Harris is sharing and how they're educating you so that you can go take control. And with that, two humans talking. See you next time. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>